Hey y'all, thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Take a Seat. I'm your host, Sienna Hope, and I am joined by Whitney Batiste, who is the founder of Pickles and Popsicles, a community-based organization that offers support to mothers in their prenatal journey and postpartum journey in a very, very special way that I actually really love. And so, Mrs. Whitney, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so <laughs> much for having me. It is truly an honor to be asked to do this. Um, so I'm a little nervous, <laughs> but we're going to get through it. Yeah, we are. We are. So before we get into what's pickles and popsicles, of course, I want to know about you. So tell me, I, I know you have three beautiful children. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about, um, take me through your child birth journey for each of them okay and uh what challenges were you presented with if any okay um so I am a mom of three I have an 11 year old a four-year-old and a 19 month old pray for me wow beautiful um and initially my background is in higher education I used to uh be over at missions at Tougaloo College my alma mater and um I started Pickles and Popsicles during my last pregnancy um, because there were just a ton of things that happened. But going back to my first pregnancy with Kennedy, I was a college student, a college senior. I was six months pregnant when um, I graduated college. And when it was time to deliver, for the most part, I had a smooth pregnancy. I could have stayed pregnant for ever I felt gorgeous (laughs) my hair was long and luscious my skin was all glowy and popping Mm -hmm. I I felt so pretty when it came time to give birth though totally different story um so I go to the emergency room around three o'clock and it was two weeks prior to two or three weeks before she was due And I go to the emergency room because I'm feeling contractions, pretty consistent contractions. So we go to the emergency room around three that morning and they kept me till about 12 that afternoon. They checked me a bunch of times and they was like, oh, there's no baby coming today. There's just Braxton Hicks contractions. You're going to be fine. You haven't dilated. Go home. Mm. Okay. I go home. And at the time, I was living with my grandmother. So after I graduated college, I moved in with her because my grandfather had just died and she had never lived alone. Mm-hmm. And so she was getting ready to go up the country, wherever everybody's up the country. That's where she was going. <laughs> and um, she was like, what the doctor say? I said, well, they said that it's just false labor. It's Braxton Hicks contractions. And t- they sent me home. And she's like, well, you know, it's a full moon outside. And I was like... Grammy, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm young. I'm going by what the doctor said. I said, the doctor said there's no baby. She was like, do you want me to stay with you? I was like, no, I'll be fine. She leaves. Um, the father of my, my child, he goes back to work. So I'm at home alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did not know, that I was at home alone in active labor. Oh, wow. So for hours, we got home about 1 o'clock that afternoon. And I didn't call anybody until about 8 30 so for wow eight hours yeah I am in extreme pain it feels like someone has a steel rod in my back and my stomach and they're pushing it pulling it Mm. and jumping on it all at the same time I was literally crawling from my room to the bathroom because my legs were shaking so bad out of pain 
And the only relief that I was getting if I was just sitting on the toilet, like I wasn't using it. It was just, I don't know. It was cold. It was mm-hmm. hard. Like it, it was the only thing offering me relief. And like I said, I was young. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And I'm looking up, like I Google how to relieve Braxton Hicks contractions. Mm-hmm. And I took a hot bath. I drank hot tea and hot coffee. I put a warm compress on my stomach, like anything to, to make it stop. And so finally, my mucus plug comes out. And mm. I was like, oh, I know what that is. Because that's what comes out right before your water breaks. Oh, wow. And the only person I could fathom to call was my aunt, who lived like 20 minutes away. And she was confused. Like, why are you calling? I'm coming. But <laughs> I called but the she doctor. Was the, she was the only number in my head. Like, I couldn't. She was like, why didn't you call sooner? And I was like, I don't know. I was just in pain. And so we get to the hospital and by this time I am like my backside is at the rear in the the windshield and I'm holding on to the back of the seat because I'm in so much pain and I get there and they rush me up I had just enough time to to get an IV put in change my clothes and push I was eight and a half centimeters dilated when I got back to the hospital so Kennedy almost came in the toilet yeah yeah (laughs) So we're at this hospital. Um, it was a, it's a big teaching hospital in Mobile. So I'm from Mobile, Alabama. And we get there, and I'm, I'm kind of loopy because of whatever is in my IV. It's making me loopy. I didn't get a, a, an epidural, so I still feel oh, wow. the pain. It was it's like a dull pain because whatever they gave me kind of helped with the pain. Mm-hmm. But it also put me kind of in and out of sleep. And every time I opened my eyes, there were more and more people Typically, it's like two people in the room. Mm -hmm. By the time I opened my eyes, it was my sister. My mom lived out of town at the time. So it was my sister, my aunt, uh, his sister, him, his mom. It was like a ton of people. And then all of a sudden, there were all of these students, these these nursing students Mm -hmm. and doctors. So I felt like I was on the birthing story Uh on Discovery Channel. It was just so many people. And I did not have control. Like I, there was no, things were happening, and I didn't know. So after I pushed and I got her, they got her out. Someone maybe laid her on me for maybe like a minute or so, and then she was whisked away to the nursery. Mm. And I didn't see her for probably like five hours. Mm. And it just everything was happening like so fast. And when, whenever I started to come down off of that medication, I was shaky. I was in pain. I, I was sore. I just didn't know. Um, I learned that he had given me an episiotomy, which means he cuts you. Okay. Um, so no one asked me, did I want that? Oh, wow. And it was just like, oh, well, we cut you so you don't tear. But but still, it's... I wanted to know. So, right. so I had stitches. So I was in so much pain because I had stitches. Mm. Um, and I remember that experience like it was yesterday. And for me, that was it. I didn't ever want to give birth ever, ever again Mm. after that, because I felt so out of control. I did not enjoy the experience. Postpartum for me was hard just because I didn't feel in control of Mm. what happened. Um, I didn't feel prepared for going home like you. You want me to take this baby home? Like, right. What, what happens? Um, they give you a shot, the Tdap, um, like for the whooping cough. Mm-hmm. 
now they do it maybe a couple of weeks before you give birth. But when I had Kennedy, they did it in the hospital. And it's like a brick under your arm. So I go home, I'm in total pain, like from the back of my ears to my ankles, everything hurts. I go home, I can barely lift her because my arm hurts so bad. Mm -hmm. Milk is coming in, so my boobs are huge. I didn't know what to do about that. And it was just the worst. The only way I made it through that, um, I actually... So for the first two weeks after I had given birth, I moved in with my sister and she worked nights. So she would come home about two in the morning and get the baby Mm. so I could rest and sleep and, you know, kind of recharge. But that was the only way I made it through that. And for me, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it anymore after Mm -hmm. that. I was like, this is this is what childbirth is. I don't want it. Do you believe if you were given some sort of knowledge beforehand or maybe allowed consent in some ways it would have been a better process for you absolutely if things were slowed down and it just gave me an opportunity to say yes or no or wait or you know ask me what I wanted uh it would have been a much better experience but maybe it was because I was young um, and this was, I was a first time mom or, you know, sometimes people think you automatically know because you've been around children, people who've had children who've given birth, but we don't, we like to say we've t- we talk and we're open and honest mm-hmm. about what childbirth looks like, what motherhood looks like, but we're not. And so when a mom falls into this whole thing of just like what to do. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew, like I've seen my friends do it and they seem like they're doing fine, but I'm, I'm suffering and no one's talking about it, what to do. So one of the main goals of pickles and popsicles, is we, we don't shine the light on just the good side of motherhood. Mm-hmm. We can prepare you for the heartbreak yeah. of motherhood. And that's important. Um, and so by the time I got pregnant with my son, I knew that because I had never heard of a birth plan before. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know, like, oh, I get to say who's right. in this room. Right. Oh, I get to say how I want the lights dim or I want to. Like, I didn't know wow. that I had that right. But yeah, we it for- took that experience. Yeah. And so we forget that it is my body. It's my baby. It's my right to say yay or nay. And so on my birth plan, that was it. I was like, it is only to be essential personnel. Like, so no extra people, no students, nobody. I want the lights low. Like if it's emergent, give me and my husband time to talk about what that decision looks like. No one makes decisions for me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I am incapacitated, my husband, we had gone through all the things. And so he knew what to do mm-hmm. if there was something that happened to me. He knew like, okay, this is what she wants. This is what we've discussed. Um, and luckily none of those interventions had to happen. Um, and my doctor at the time, you know, even though she, she gave me the groundwork, it was like, well, you know, if something happens, our main priority is, is making sure you and the baby go home. And I get that. And so for the most part, what she respected what we wanted because nothing happened. Like he was fine. Um, and the same thing for my daughter. I think the only difference with her is that, uh, my doctor was actually a little bit trying to rush us mm. because so we went in, um, I had to get induced with the last two children because my, my blood pressure kept uh, fluctuating. So I was always borderline pre Um, I never had the symptoms at the same time. So 
I either had high blood pressure and normal protein or high protein and normal blood pressure. And so I was just caught, just kind of teetering the fence of, of, you know, if I was preeclampsia. So she would induce me um, right at 37 or 38 weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, just to be safe. Um, And with Afeni, that's the last baby. (laughs) I got the, I got an epidural Mm -hmm. um, with the drip. So I could push the button because I didn't want to be completely dead from the bottom. Okay. I wanted to still feel the urge to push. And so I would need to feel a little bit of my contractions. I didn't get to use it because the one time I did, it put her to sleep and they had to go in there and like scratch her head. And she was like, oh, no, I just I feel <laughs> so too good. It didn't gonna, work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to stay. And so I was fully dilated and she had no interest in coming. Mm. She was like, I'm cool. She I'm, said, I am I am fine in this oven. Yeah, I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> I was actually going to ask, um, the with your first child, with your firstborn, the decision to get the, not get an epidural, why was that? It wasn't a decision. Okay. I was too far, too far uh, dilated to get an epidural. Okay. And so um, they don't, they typically won't give you an epidural past, I want to say six centimeters. Okay. And you were eight. I was, yeah. I yeah. was almost nine. <laughs> so had okay. I stayed at home, probably another 20 minutes, I just would have been <laughs> had a home birth. Yeah. And so it definitely was not my mm-hmm. decision because mm-hmm. that pain was <laughs> yeah not pleasant at all. Um, but with my other two, I knew that I wanted to still feel the urge to push, but not be so out of it because of the pain that I don't enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we did we did the drip. Uh, but with Afeni, yeah, she, I only got to push the button one time. And my husband was so confused. He was like, didn't they do the thing? Why are you still feeling contractions? <laughs> I was like, because I told them that I want, I want. He was like, I don't understand. I was like, because... When it's hard to push when you don't feel like, why am I pushing? Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that. Like, push. And you're like, I don't feel it. Am I doing it? Because your dad is the body. You're like, am I doing it? Like, I don't know. I don't know. So I didn't want that. So I wanted the, the experience. But her doctor, um, because she was just chilling. Mm-hmm. And she was calling, you know, every couple of minutes because she didn't want to, to miss it. Um, and she was like, well, she's going to have to, you know, come down. And I was like, there will be no uh, crazy intervention trying to get her out of me. You just, if, if you miss it, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Right now, she's fine. She's not in distress. I'm not in distress. And uh, there was an older tech, <laughs> older black woman in mm-hmm. there. And when she first came in, so the room was dark, like it was dim light. Mm-hmm. And she came in, cause you, she was old. She came in, she was like, why is it so dark in here? <laughs> Where are the lights? And, and they were trying to tell her like that was part of my birthday. She's like, no, she, this is what you, oh, this is what you want? You want it dark like this? And I was like, I just want to be calm. Mm-hmm. I just want people to talk to me in the stuff. She was like, oh, all right then, baby. And so after a while, you know, she, she was in and out and she talked to me. And so after probably like the fifth time of my, my doctor calling to see like, hey, is she descending any? The the um, the text, she said, I got something. I got it, babe. Come on. Put your leg over here. And she put my, my left leg in the right stirrup. And I'm telling you, soon as she put me in that position, that baby slid out. Oh, wow. And the doctor came in and had to hold her head in while she got her other glove on. 
Wow. I mean, she was like, I, I don't know. She what was the, the magic touch. Yeah, I don't know what that lady did, but it was, I mean, Afini just like, pew. And it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me get my glove on. Right. She was the sweetest woman. She ended up singing. I have a video of her singing happy birthday. She was like, I've never done this. And she was like, I'm going to sing happy birthday too. What's the baby name? Athena. I said, Athena. Right, <laughs> right like, first. <laughs> yeah, she didn't, she didn't get the name. Athena's yeah. uh, name is, is Nigerian. And she didn't get it. She was like, Athena? Aline? What's the baby name? <laughs> but it was such a pleasant uh, experience mm-hmm. just having her. And so we failed to realize how important your birthing team and that's the doctors that's the nurses like that's the text like you forget how important and crucial those people are to making sure you have a pleasant birthing experience yeah um and having someone to advocate for you mm-hmm. um and so i didn't really learn about doulas and midwives to much later in life and even then when i did finding a physician who is willing to work with them is a whole nother challenge. Yeah. I've heard several stories where black women, they don't have a, a comfortable experience when it comes to childbirth, mm-hmm. um, especially with the disproportionate care that they receive Yeah, uh, when it comes to um, being in the hospital, like you said, and having a support team and having um, everyone on one accord. Mm-hmm. So what what is the message that with pickles and popsicles, you said that it also focuses on the good narratives, but also it highlights, of course, the things that it's oftentimes not talked about. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that you make sure that you discuss with women um, that is a part of this amazing organization? So a huge thing for us is self-advocacy. And granted, I know not everyone is comfortable um, standing up for themselves, especially when you're in the presence of quote unquote experts, right? Mm-hmm. But what I empower my moms to know is that they are the experts in their own baby, in their own bodies, and with their own babies. And when it comes to even when I take my kids to the doctor, you know, yes, I I know you got the degree, but I'm telling you something not right with this baby. Mm-hmm. And you have to trust that I'm the expert in my own child. That means I'm also the expert in my own body. So I know something isn't right. And so you have to go that extra mile to push and to fight for yourself. And not just you. You need an army of team of people behind you. It helps if you build a good rapport with your healthcare provider, that they know that you are on the same playing field um, and that, hey, I have these reservations. You know, because we black women are dying at three, four and sometimes five rate as our, as our white counterparts, mm-hmm. you know, and that is infuriating yeah. that I can come in with the same symptoms mm-hmm. and not make it out. Mm-hmm. And Susan can. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. And it's because our pain isn't validated all the time. And so you're not hearing me when I'm saying I'm hurting or my chest hurts. Um, with Afeni, when I got the, the epidural, <laughs> he put it in. And when he started pushing in the medicine, I felt it only on the left side of my body. So down like the lower left side of my back, down the, the, the left side of my buttocks, down to my leg. And 
I, the, the nurse in that moment, cause my husband can't be in there. So in that moment I'm holding her and she stops. She said, Hey, wait a minute. She looks at me and she said, what's wrong? I say, like, I don't think this is in the right position because I only feel it on the left side. And the, the anesthesiologist goes, Oh, okay. Well, let's do it again. I'm sorry. You're putting this long needle in my back and you just, uh, you have one job, sir. Just mm -hmm. one to yeah. put it in the right position. You just can't go poking willy, willy right. nilly. And after that, I, I was kind of shaken and I was, I was lying there and I couldn't breathe. My chest got tight. Like when I was, I was lying on one side, I could not breathe. I called the nurse back. Her name is Kathy. I called Kathy back and I was like, something is wrong. I can't breathe. I was like, it just feels heavy. And so she moves me to, to the other side. And she was like, it was probably the anesthesia that, that was so much on one side. And I just remember getting hot and my heart beating fast because I was nervous and I was scared. And luckily nothing happened and it was fine, but we don't always think about those experiences, you know, where something as simple as putting a needle in an incorrect position could paralyze you, you know, could do some severe damage and to be so cavalier about it. I was mad. I, I, I sent a very nasty email mm -hmm. <laughs> about it. Um, but I want moms to know that they have the power. And sometimes doctors don't always get it right. And they are so busy working in autopilot mm -hmm. because they're shooting out babies, you know, right. one after another and not some, they don't always give the individualized care that that mom needs. So what you did for this mom may not work for this mom. What you, you know, how, what protocol typically does in states may not work best for her. And so sometimes it just takes you just a second to slow down and just give a little bit of individualized care because one, it shows that you see me, mm -hmm. it shows that you, you're hearing me and it makes me feel validated. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel like I have that control. Because when you're in these settings, it, it is easy to lose control. It is easy to feel out of sorts because you're like, okay, I'm listening to these people who have gotten these degrees and they've done, they've gone to the schools and they did all the things, but I'm not getting better and I'm not getting what I need. So what to do? You be your own advocate and you make sure you have someone there to advocate for you when you cannot. Mm -hmm. And holding people accountable. And ho holding people accountable even if it's the people who look like us mm -hmm. because my last doctor I had to hold her accountable mm. um and that's the thing and so sometimes we also do that like as black women we don't we don't want that label right mm. we don't want the label as the angry black woman mm -hmm. right. but I would take that label any day if I get to stay alive mm. I will be all the things that you you call me in your head if I'm, if I'm living to tell about it. And naturally, one of the things that we are working on um, is, is making a larger conversation surrounding 
the experiences we have as a black as black patients from a black provider because we gravitate toward black providers because we like they know us right they've had these experiences right they know you know some of the fears that we have they don't always protect us the right way and that needs to be accounted for um my the the doctor who delivered my last two babies uh she did not do me right mm-hmm. when it when it came to to certain things and for her it was mostly about money um so with my son i was on private insurance cuz i was working when with my daughter Athene i had just quit my job mm-hmm. And we got pregnant like a month after I quit my job. I could have been pregnant before then, but we found out a month right. <laughs> a month after <laughs> I quit my job. And so automatically they put you on Medicaid. Cause so I was I was in conversation with insurance companies and I forgot whose administration we were under. And so I told them that I was pregnant so I could make sure I had the right care. And I was like, uh yeah, no, that's a pre existing condition. You're gonna have to be put on call us back after the baby, <laughs> after the mm. baby's born. And initially I was like, Oh man, oh that sucks because I'm already looked at a certain way as, right. a, as, as a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at my insurance and thinking like, oh, you know, she's just a mutual, moocher and blah, 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 blah. And so it put me at ease. I was like, well, I don't have to get a new doctor because I already have a doctor. She had been my doctor for four years. So I'm, I'm fine. You know, that's great. Uh, but when it came time for care, I saw the difference mm. because so I have migraines and, um, they naturally, um, flare up like really bad when I'm pregnant. And so I take migraine medication, but when I'm pregnant, I can't take that. So I have to take something else. And when I was pregnant with my son, she had given me something else. And so when I got pregnant with Afeni, I asked for that same medication and she, she gives me this long spill about, oh, you know, we're in an opioid crisis. You can't have this and this. And I was just like, you know, we were in that same crisis two years ago because my, my kids are only two years apart, barely two years apart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she said, well, when they get too bad, just go to an urgent care. I was like, you sure urgent care or not the, or the emergency room? She's just like, go to an urgent care. And I go, I used to go to an urgent care, like to get a shot if my medication wasn't working. So I go to one who already had my information and I tell them like, Hey, I'm 27 weeks pregnant. I am on a two week migraine, two weeks of a headache. <laughs> it's not fun. Yeah. Um, my doctor is such and such. I deliver here. If, if the doctor here cannot treat me, it's perfectly fine. We'll just go to the emergency room. And she says, oh, well, let me call the doctor and tell her your information and, and she'll let you know if she can see you. The doctor says, okay, I'll see you. After a very extensive conversation about my medical and medication history, which she can see, with a straight face, she offers me over-the-counter Tylenol. I almost leaped across that table at that woman and, and very smugly, she says, I mean, well, you're pregnant, so there's, you, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. I said, but you knew that I was pregnant and you agreed right. to see me because you get a paycheck today mm-hmm. for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I still leave in debilitating pain. And I remember bursting out of that, of that, um, that place and my husband and son running behind me. And I, I just fell in the parking lot and I wept because mm-hmm. I had never felt so invisible in all of my life. And I was so angry, but I was in so much pain 
we go to the hospital where I am quickly treated, given a bed and, and said rest. But I said that to say that I end up going to the hospital probably seven or eight times during my pregnancy for things that could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. Things that were prevented when I had private insurance with my son. And so that's also a thing that we have to talk about is the lack of care or quality care we receive based on our insurance that shouldn't matter. Right. I am a person in need. I'm a person who needs help. It should not matter what my insurance is. And they should care. And you should care. So I ended up, between my migraines and my blood pressure, probably seven or eight times I had hospital stays because it wasn't treated properly. Like it should have. Mm -hmm. Like it should have. Yeah. So those are things that we bring awareness to, we talk about, we discuss. We are currently doing two separate research projects um, right now. Um, We want to write a guide, a postpartum guide. Um, because there wasn't one. There's nothing like a, a what to expect when expected, but what yeah. to expect bringing home a newborn. Whether it's your first or your tenth, each of those postpartum periods are, are unique. vastly different. Mm-hmm. And so we are gathering moms and, and interviewing and doing focus groups to figure out if there was something like this, what would you want it to say? What would you want to know about bringing home this kid? What would you want your spouse to know or those who are supporting you? Because sometimes people think that they're supporting you, but they're supporting you in their own way. But no one asks the moms what they need. Mm. My husband used to come home with the baby when I was, after I had given birth to Athena and he would just tend to the big kids. And so it would be like an hour or two. He would be home for like a whole hour or two and before he would even come back there to check on us. And he was like, oh, I was just, you know, trying to get the big kids situated, get them fed, do homework and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, but I'm back here and this skin tag, this baby right here who has not left my side, get her. These bigger kids. (laughs) They can take care of themselves. (laughs) I can deal with that. But I don't, I don't, I told him, I was like, I don't feel like a person. He was like, I thought I was helping. I said, did you ask me how, Mm. how you could help? Because that's not, that's not the help that I needed. And so we want to also let those that are supporting new moms, how to help. And it's okay to ask them what they need because they just may need something as simple as you washing the dishes, bringing, you know, holding the baby so they can take a shower that day because they probably hadn't had one. Yeah. Or take a nap or not just come in and try to keep you entertained. Yeah. Like, so everyone knows, like, if you were coming to my house after we had a kid, are we not, it is not fun time. I'm not chitting chatting with you. Mm-hmm. I'm about to put you to work. Put together some baby gear. You know, organize this nursery over here. Wash some bottles. You know, hold this kid while I take a nap. Or I can just sit outside by myself for a moment. Like, let me recollect my energy. So, yeah. It's, it's important that we are arming not just the moms, but those around her. Mm-hmm. You know, because not everyone knows how much they're taking from a mom. Like when they're like, oh, let me see the baby. Let me hold the baby. Right, you yes. know, girl, talk to me. I don't want to talk. Yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now that you say that, I'm an aunt. I've been an aunt since I was like nine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have children yet. But when it comes to my nieces and my nephews and specifically my nieces, um, they are three and two. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, 
my niece, uh, when she was born and my sister, she's a single mom. So when she was born and it was like, okay, time for me to step up. And I was living with her at the time. So just seeing her after she'd given birth Mm -hmm. and just, well, now that I remember and I reflect, she was so alone, Yeah, you know? And then too, it was like, the baby wouldn't stop crying at night. And it was, I mean, so many just different experiences to happen. And I tried to make it to where, okay, I'm not going to let this discourage me. I'm not going to let this process discourage me because it was just, it was just a lot. It can be a lot for people who do not have children. Mm -hmm. And we have this fairy tale view of motherhood. And that's exactly in that moment, like in those moments where it was firsthand me, yeah, I'm like, oh wow, this is you not, know, this that's is not what we see yeah. out there. What is, you know, listen, I tell everybody. I had a friend the other day. She was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready, you know, to be a mom. I said, well, let me just help you. You're never ready. No, I got the kids and I ain't ready. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you're never ready. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you that it's going to be all great all the time because it's not what I can guarantee you that there will be times where it is ugly. Yeah. It is lonely. Mm -hmm. It is frustrating. It is heartbreaking and it doesn't stop because each, each with each developmental stage, something changes. So, so my, my daughter now, my oldest daughter is, (laughs) she's about to get a period. (laughs) So we got all these new hormones. Oh yeah. (laughs) She is. I mean, and we are not vibing. You know, sixty percent of the time, I don't want like her. I want a box. Like who, (laughs) who raised you? Okay, why are you acting like this? And my mom was like, "Well, she, you know, she acts just like you." I said, "Granted, that's true, but she acts like me as a thirty-five-year-old woman and not an eleven-year-old child. Like she acts like me how I am right now, (laughs) (laughs) and that's the part that's not gonna go." And I was like, "Motherhood is yes." It is beautiful. It is rewarding. But that is only a very small piece of what it is. I am three types of mamas a day. I have three children in three different developmental stages, and they all require something different. They I, they require me to cu- communicate with them differently. They require me to punish them differently. They require different types of affection. So I have to do that all day, every day. And it's exhausting. And it's lonely and it's frustrating. And even my husband, there was a peak um, in what Kennedy is experiencing because she was just being flooded with all of these new hormones. And Mm -hmm. so she she wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it. We weren't vibing. And I remember like crying and because I'm so frustrated and overwhelmed. And for him, it was like, I mean, she's a kid. I was like, you don't get it. You don't understand. You did not. I said, I birthed this child. I carried her. Mm-hmm. I created, I loved, I birthed. She is mine. Okay. I gave birth to her. She has been with me the longest. She, she was my sweet little precious baby. Like, I said, yeah. Stop talking to me. You don't get it. You don't understand what that heartbreak feels like. And so don't talk to me like as you are, you know, you're just, you're, you're the fun dad, okay? Like, <laughs> you, you don't, don't understand. <laughs> it's frustrating. Like, you don't understand my pain. Like, he just did not understand why I was so upset. And I was just like, I am, I'm exhausted. I'm trying. I don't think she's getting it. I mean, I know eventually she will, but in that moment, it was very heartbreaking. And so 
what I want people to understand about motherhood that yes, it's all of those things. It is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's rewarding. It is going to be the time of your life, but there are moments that you'd be like, who, who gave me these kids? Yeah. And why did they think this was a good idea? Yeah. And why was the pain? Okay. Like, why is this pain even here? here? For what? what? Exactly. And so I had to encourage moms quite often that it is okay for you not to enjoy every moment of motherhood. In fact, it is normal. And if you say you love every waking moment of motherhood, you're lying. You're not doing it right. Like <laughs> if you haven't questioned yourself as a mother at least twice a week, something ain't right. And I'm yeah. glad you said that. I'm glad you really said that and just clarified that because, you know, from experience, especially my, my sister, like I think there are moments where she ask herself that question now whether I know it or not but I can believe that she does and think about it when we talk about so we have um so pickles and popsicles we offer mommy mentorship and so it's just a phone call to another mom and they talk about a wide range of, of, of things um you know hey something's happening with my boob is this normal like mm-hmm. the baby won't stop crying or they're having a hard emotional day and just need to kind of get over that hump so they have mommy mentorships and then we have our mommy meetups of course now everything is virtual but it's a safe space to say I don't like my kid today and ain't nobody judging you for that right you know, I can't put on Facebook that my, you know, my three-year-old, though brilliant, is a butthole sometimes. Because mm-hmm. people are like, oh my gosh, you talk about your kids. Like, like, yes, how I dare do. you? <laughs> yes, I do. But <laughs> if we are, if we dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, if I allow this mom a safe space to express her frustrations as a mother, and in that moment I cover her, I don't shame her, I don't bash her. Even if her feelings may not be mine, like I may not have said that, I may not have said that about my own kid, but if we take that moment to cover her, to protect her, and to help her through that, what can happen? You know how abused kids are formed? Because a a person didn't have support. Mm -hmm. They were saying, hey, I need help. I'm frustrated. I'm overworked. I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't do this. And so I don't have anybody else to lash out on. I don't have anybody else to take to, to take this to, to tell this to. So then what am I going to do? I'm going to take this anger. I'm going to take this frustration and I'm going to put it on this kid that's here mm. because I didn't have anybody to help me through these feelings. Mm-hmm. And so we are so consumed with what the idea or, or what the painted picture of motherhood is that we do not be, we're not honest about what motherhood actually is. And so I had a friend who went through IVF to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it was the, we hear about these IVF stories. uh, We see them. And it was the first time I actually saw it. I saw a box of needles and a box of medication. And she went through the whole list of things she had to do. And I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. And after he was born, he was colicky. He had some some gastro issue, uh, issues. Um, she was new, so she was tired. And I, I don't know why I was up. Our babies are like a week and a half apart. And I remember calling her, and she was just bawling. Mm. And I said, "It's okay if in this moment it's four o two in the morning, 
and you're exhausted and you want him to be quiet and go to sleep. It does not mean you love this child any less. It does not mean you want him any less. It means that you are tired and you're exhausted. And in this moment, you can say, I just want him to stop. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the fact that you have prayed for this child. You have gone through this whole ordeal to have this baby. It doesn't change that. It doesn't change that you want him. It doesn't change that you love him. It just says that right now you're tired. Mm -hmm. You're frustrated. You're overwhelmed. And you didn't think it was going to be like this. You were allowed these feelings in this moment. Yeah. And she broke down and she was just like, I felt so bad that I was feeling this way. I was like, I got three of these jokers and I still feel, <laughs> I still feel this way. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why? But that is what we want to get out. That is what we want our moms to know that they have community, that they have a mom who understands, who has, you know, Kennedy wears two hearing aids. She's had them since she was, Three months old. Mm-hmm. Um, most people wouldn't know unless you know they're just looking at her or they they see her because she has a she has a weird hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, they call it a tricky hearing loss because she can technically hear, um, but just certain things. So uh, if you say cat and hat, she only hears at if she's not wearing her hearing aids. Okay. And so having to deal with that. Um, it's 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 better now because she's it's like uh she'll even joke about it like you know I can't hear well, <laughs> but but growing up you know having something that she, she was different she knew that she was different kids noticed that she was different, um but teaching her like hey it's okay you know you just it's nothing it doesn't change you she's still the smartest kid in the class. But having a support system for that, mm-hmm. even how to talk to her, how to have her and help her embrace, you know, this thing that she has, um, it helped a lot. And so I find comfort talking to moms and having that little bit of relief. So even now, as we're going through hormones and puberty, I find my tribe of moms and I'm like, hey, is your kid doing this? What is wrong with them? <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it helps me to feel less alone. And so that is the community that we are building. To, even if it's just one, mm-hmm. you are not alone. alone. Right. right. And when you know you're not alone, you're, you're more likely to open up about other things. Mm-hmm. When you feel that you're supported, it makes you feel like you can do anything. And it's like a breath of fresh air. Yes. It's like... Oh, I can be myself. I can be myself. I can be who I am despite all of these hats that I have to wear. Absolutely. And that's that's how I feel like in my marriage, I'm all sorts of wrong and raggedy. I am terrible. Mm -hmm. But I also know that he ain't going nowhere. He loves me (laughs) and he he judges me not. He supports me in all Mm -hmm. of my crazy. And so I was like, this, what I feel here, I want to translate out into the world to Mm -hmm. everybody. Right. Like, I want to be authentically myself all the time. And granted, I am not everybody's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Right. Because, I I mean, it's not meant to be that way. You're not going to fit in everyone's uh, box. It is. It is perfectly fine. Um, so our, our goal is just to, to bring community to moms. So mm-hmm. that that's our tagline, connecting moms to community. Um, and it's important because, so when I got here, because I'm not originally from here and I'm pregnant, 
I need a village. And so, you know, we people talk about like, oh, it takes a village to raise a kid. Yeah, that's true. But mm-hmm. it takes a village to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And so nobody's thinking about that village. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let us be your village. Like, tell us all the things, you know, let us help you through it. Let us figure it out together because I don't want you to take these things that you're feeling and then release them back into your household, back into your children. Because an emotionally supported mom, she what? She raises an emotionally supported kid who goes on to be, you know, an emotionally responsible adult. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. Like this thing goes past this mom right now. Because what she is gaining here, she passes on to her children. It's simple to me. I feel that maternal health is universal mm-hmm. because it starts everywhere. Right. right? Yeah. And so we can get a good grapple on maternal health. It'll change the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to go back to um, something that you said, and I, I made a pointer for myself. It's in relation to having an identity outside of motherhood. Mm. How important is that? That is super important. That is super important. Um, Because when we pour all of ourselves into our children and into that identity of being a mom, then what happens when the kids are gone? Who are you? And that goes for even your marriage. If I pour all of who I am into being a wife and a mother, and then when those things are gone, then who am, who am I as a woman? Mm-hmm. Who am I as a person? And so it is important that you give yourself balance. I can be Whitney and mommy. I can be Whitney and wifey. I can be all those things together and I can be all of those things apart. And so... One of the things we started to do in October, we released the um, Mommy Reset Box. Mm-hmm. And because during the pandemic, we were all going crazy. Okay. Mm, exactly. That 24-hour parenting thing. Oh, yeah. I was not prepared. Yeah. I p- took it through the roof. Ooh, through the roof. Ain't nobody leaving. Y'all here all the time? All the time, yeah. These are the most consistent meals that have ever come out of this household. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I uh, didn't like it. I was Daycare is like, closed. Ooh. School out, which is crazy because my kids didn't go to daycare anyway. But it's just like the <laughs> you took away that option. Yeah, <laughs> and now yeah. I have to be here with right. them. And I was going crazy because it was just it was I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. It was the same thing happening over and over and over, and and I was exhausted. And I had nothing for myself, and I sat down and I talked with my husband. I was like, I we, we got to figure something out. I need a moment. I need a day or, or a couple of hours to lock myself, you know, in the bathroom or in the, in the back office. I, I, I need something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, we'll figure it out, figure out what you need and we'll make it happen. And so I, I thought about all of the things that I use in those moments of self-care. And I know, you know, self-care has been huge and initially, yes, it is something like candles and bath salts and, and a journal or a mug of tea or, or something like that. But it, it kind of went beyond that for me that I wanted you to be able to have a moment for yourself just to recharge because you may can't take a day. Mm-hmm. You may can't leave the house, right? You can't, you know, you can't go on a staycation or a vacation, even if it is a pandemic. So carve out a moment for yourself, you know, 
And my, my therapist, she was like, well, you need to put yourself higher in your, you know, in your schedule during the day. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I got my self-care in. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. She was like, yeah, no. That's not intentional. <laughs> you do that because that's just when the kid, everybody's sleeping in the house. Quiet. She's like, you have to make it intentional for yourself. And I was just like, well, I feel like I can't do that. But me stating to my husband, my older children, like, hey, you know, if mommy is in the bathroom, because, you know, I can live in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. I was like, if mommy's in the bathroom or if his mommy's in the office and the door is closed, let me have this time Mm -hmm. and so and then having my husband kind of grab onto that and he's like no mommy's having her moment and mommy's doing her thing let let her do that it it made me feel okay okay all I needed was that good 30 minutes you know of doing something mindless sometimes I watch ratchet television Mm -hmm. and I'm like oh that's all I needed like I will You know, sometimes I would do my nails. Sometimes I'll just sit and eat things that I didn't have to share with anyone else. Ah, that, that, yes. You know, it's so we have to, you have to create your own self-care routine. What does that look like for you? Because it may not be bubble baths. It it, it may not be going and getting a mani-pedi. It really just may be just you sitting in a room alone. Yes. You know, reading a book, doing a mask, watching ratchet television. It could, it whatever it is, whatever it is that helps you recharge, that helps you collect your energy, because then what you are able to do is breathe, you know, in the words of Whitney, relax, relate, release. Yes. And then you're better for your family. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not so burned out, you know, with, there is a, a saying, um, you can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. And I used this um, scenario of my grandmother when, you know, back in the day when they had cups and, you know, teacups and mm-hmm. saucers. And when she, when I was little, she would make a, a cup of coffee. And I would always, I just wanted what was in her cup. Like I, I wasn't like, oh, I had to have coffee. Like I just wanted what she had. Yeah. And she never actually gave me anything out of her cup. Mm. ever I was like granny get him cabbage she never actually gave me anything out of her cup what she gave me was the overflow Mm. what fell onto the saucer and it I took that now as an adult and I was like because what's in my cup is my reserve that's for me Mm -hmm. the overflow is what's for my family the overflow is what's for my job the overflow is what's for my husband because if i keep dipping into my reserve and giving that out to my family my job my my friends then what's left because nobody's replenishing me mm-hmm. nobody's pouring back into me as often as they should and so i keep dipping in what was for just for me i keep dipping into that and i'm giving it away and then by the time i'm bare by the time i'm empty i'm frustrated yeah i'm burned out you're tapped out i'm irritated yeah. And then I am just a crazy maniac person running through the house screaming about everything. Mm -hmm. So I no longer give people the reserve of my life. I don't give them what's in my cup. I give them the overflow. And so to keep that overflow, to keep myself always emptying out, I do things to constantly build myself up. I do things to constantly, you know, 
collect my energy. I do things to constantly recharge. So I'm not just struggling from day to day of just trying to make it like, oh, I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm just go away. Yeah. So if I, if I keep this in rotation, then I'm always better for them. Mm-hmm. And I granted, it ain't like that every day. I have moments still where it's just a pile of things happening at one time that I just, you know, can't control. But for the most part, I've seen a world of difference of how I'm communicating at home, you know, because I have time to recharge. Mm -hmm. I have time to breathe. I have time to just, okay, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. I have time to organize my life just doing something simple as having 30 minutes to myself. Yeah. I'm lucky if I get my two hours. Yeah. Now, I, I still do my bath time at like 11, but. And still, and, and no matter how many children that you have, whether it's one yeah. or five. You need it. Yeah. You deserve it. I, I, I want people to stop validating what motherhood is based on the number of children you have. Cause that's not true. Like, oh, you only got one child. Well, you, yeah, you ain't what got you three. What you tired for? What you tired? I'm t- Have you had a kid? <laughs> I am tired. And so, it's not fair to invalidate a mother's feelings about her exhaustion because of the number of children that she has. Now, I don't want five children to feel tired. Mm-hmm. I'm tired with the three that I have, and I was tired with the one that I had. Kids are exhausting. They require a lot. If I only had my son, it feels like there are five children in the house. Because mm. he never stops talking. Like, ever. <laughs> I mean, ever. Like, he wakes up at 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. And he will literally talk himself out of sleep. Like, he came in there. The other night, it was like one o'clock, and he was like, Well, mom, did you know that the stratosphere did? And I'd be like, No, go to bed. <laughs> so, if you have one kid, it can be a lot. So, my son is a whole lot by himself, and then I got this gangster boo baby, this one year old who thinks she is as big as everybody else in the house. <sighs> She now she learns how to take off her clothes and she climbs things. So I call her Tarzana, and I'm yelling at her all day. <laughs> Get down! Put the table down! Put that down! <laughs> My friend said, "I think sometimes I forget if you got a baby or a dog the way you talk to this child because she just be doing." I'm like, "No, stop! <laughs> sit! Wait! Go!" <laughs> and I'm just running all day. And then I got this moody preteen. Yeah, yeah. So all of them separately yeah. will make any one person exhausted. I got all three of them together. I'm yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. And they're, on, they're their own individual and they have their own needs, their own wants. Oh, God. And it's just one of you. You know, it's just you. It's just you me. Know? It's, just, it's just me. So when my, on the days that my husband works from home. Oh, oh I just, you're loving it. Ooh, I go in that <laughs> office and I close my door. And he was like, I'm trying to do that. I said, how do you think I do it every day, oh, sir? I do not feel sorry for you. The power of motherhood, the power of women. Yes. Yeah. Because he was just like, I'm just, I'm just trying to send an email. And she will. Because she, like, I'm invisible when he's home. Like, she, it, it, but it's his fault. He ruined her. And so when he's home, I'd be like, that's your baby. That's the real love of your life. You can have it. Yeah. So talk to me about the joys um, that motherhood brings. Listen, when you realize that your kids are little mini versions of you, all the best parts of you 
in human form, it's amazing. And to see them reach their potentials, you know, reach their goals, do something fascinating. I'm just like, oh, I get all the feels. My son, we've been having, you know, issues because he won't go to sleep and he wake up too early and he just talks all the time. And I tell him um, the other night, I said, it's time to go to bed. Because I had been sick all day. I had a migraine. So I was in the bed all day. And I just had the baby with me. And then Kennedy was watching him. And so I started to feel better at about 8 o'clock that night. And so he comes into the living room. And I said, okay, but it's time to go to bed. And he was just like, well, no, I'm just going to lay here with you. I didn't have the energy to fight with him to tell mm-hmm. him to go to bed. <laughs> I was So he went and got his blanket and his pillow and he came and laid in, in, in laid next to me. And he was like, you know, hey, mom, I love you. And I was like, I love you too, bud. I love you too. And within minutes, he was asleep. Um, and so it makes me to know that you have a huge part in the type of human beings you are putting out into the world. Mm-hmm. And that's something I tell Kennedy all the time. I was like, sometimes I know you think that I'm hard on you. I was like, but I'm not raising you for us, right? I'm I'm not raising you just to be a part of our household. I'm raising you to be a decent human being in society. I'm raising you to be someone that people like, you know? Mm-hmm. People, <laughs> I right. don't want you to be no, a, yeah. a jerk, right? right? I said, and so I'm I'm not just doing these things for this house. I said, well, the things that I'm teaching you are for how you're going to be in school, accountability and responsibility. Like those are those are lessons that go beyond this house. And so I'm raising you to be a decent human being in society. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I get it. I know you're hard. I'm hard on you. I fuss a lot and, and everything. I said, but you have no idea the amount of pressure it is to be a parent. And there are a lot of times, you know, you, she and I have very candid conversations because that's not something I got from my own mom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tell friends all the time, I say parenting between from the, the mom I had to the mom I wished I had sometimes is a is uncharted territory, right? There, there's so much there that I don't know. And so we're, we're learning. We're doing this thing trial and error. Mm-hmm. I apologize a lot. You know, we have a bunch of different communication styles. We, we write notes to each other. So if something is, is too hard for her to verbalize to me in that mm-hmm. moment, then she'll write and just like leave me a note somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then I'll write it back and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it also gives me a chance to hear her, you know, and not feel like I have to immediately respond to her, see how she's feeling, you know, really get that on. I was like, my mom didn't talk. Like she didn't care about your feelings. Like she paid the bills. She was the boss and that was it. Anything else you had to say, it didn't matter. And I was like, I don't want that for her. And so I keep the lines of communication open. We we talk about things. I explain to her, this is why X, Y, and Z happens, or this is why we're doing this. And I want her to be better than I am. Mm-hmm. And so when I see her reaching and going and doing I'm so proud. And I make sure I tell her that, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm proud of my kids, but they don't hear it and they don't know mm-hmm. that you're proud. You know, mm-hmm. my father, he used to tell anybody who would listen how amazing I was. And I was like, 
who be talking about? I ain't never heard them words mm. come out of his mouth ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, your daddy, he just be talking. He said you up in that school and you doing all this. Oh, all really? Oh, I okay. He ain't showed up for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I feel that it is important for them to know that you are proud, that you care, that they are amazing and all the things and still give them constructive criticism. Exactly. You know, don't let your kid be out here thinking they, you know, a superstar and they not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they don't know how to take criticism as well. And so we do that. So like she, she's, she's, she's the artist of the family. So Mm -hmm. she's the artist. CK's the scientist. Afeni, we don't know what Afeni gonna be. She just that's okay. She's a gangster baby. Yeah. (laughs) Right now she's a fighter. (laughs) But um, so Kennedy enjoys drawing and painting, and she she is she does well. Um, And so now we're in that phase. Okay, this is the thing you want to do. Okay, let's critique this. Let's grow in this. If this is, you know, if you want to focus on on pastels and paints and, and, and whatever, okay, let's watch videos about how to blend. I was like, because you're now past that stage where I have to accept it just because you did it. Like, yeah, oh, girl, that's like, so Oh, my, this is so beautiful. Wait, let me tell you how you can, how it can be better. And make it better. Mm-hmm. And so that is what we're doing now. Um, I just, recently, she got in trouble. Um, because she didn't turn it well I didn't turn in the assignment and she comes to me and she was like mom can you you have to take a picture of this and send it to my teacher yeah I was like it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was like "Mm, this ain't college so I'm pretty sure she didn't say before 12 so when when was it due and she was like it was due at three I said I'm not taking no picture of this and send it to your teacher but I'm gonna get a reflection I said well it'll be one you deserved because you didn't do the work mm-hmm. she was like but I did I said you didn't do it when she said to do it so I'm not gonna do it so she was oh she was so upset so the next day I text her teacher I said hey I apologize if Kennedy's off today she's frustrated with me because I didn't turn in the assignment um, because it was later than you wanted it. And she was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for doing that. I had parents texting me at, at 11, 12 o'clock saying this is for that. And I was like, no. And so many times some of Kennedy's teachers actually missed the opportunity to teach her accountability and responsibility because she's so likable. She's a likable kid. Mm-hmm. Like, you like her. Yeah, she's yeah. She's cute. Yeah. Got, she just, she's just right. adorable. They were like, like no, She can't no, do any no, wrong. Yeah, and if she does, Kennedy. it's just like, oh, no. And I was like, what you're teaching her is that that's how all of her teachers are going to be and it's not yeah give her the zero that she earned if she didn't do the work she didn't do the work who cares about that 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 she didn't feel like it that day and i was like oh i just let her do it again but did she she didn't do it the first time no (laughs) and so sometimes not everyone understands my style of parenting and i was like what you fail to realize is that I, if we keep doing this, if we keep repeating this cycle, that she will feel entitled, right? And she feels like, well, everybody else did it for me. Like, why can't you? And she would feel like that's what has to happen. No, you do the work that you're supposed to do. Right now, she has a, a sticky note on her mirror because we had a thing. And I said, what's the motto? And she was like, do what you got to do so you can do what you want to do. I say, now go put it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror so you can see it every day. Because mm-hmm. that's the goal. It's not about like you can't do the things you want to do. There are just priorities in life. 
Mm-hmm. And for her, she has no balance. She's all in on the work side and all in on the play side. She don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, yeah. She don't know she can do both. Yeah. And I was like, okay, balance, sister. Right. <laughs> right. Balance. Right. But just I take pride in them being decent human beings. Yeah. Being kids that they want to be around. No one has a problem keeping my children. No, well, I don't know about a phoenix. She is a true quarantine <laughs> baby. The, the builder. Listen, she ain't been around nobody. She been in quarantine. She was five months old. She don't know nobody. She don't like nobody. So we, y'all just pray for her. But the other two, they're joy. They're mm-hmm. a joy to be around. They're not high maintenance kids. You know, they're, they're, they're grateful. They're just good kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's the goal. Mm-hmm. I want to raise decent human beings. I want to raise kids that people want to be around. Yeah. Because there's some crappy adults out here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I've had issues with kids at her school. And I, you know, I had to tell a parent, raise a decent child. Because I will fight your kid, okay? Yeah, you have one job. Just raise a decent, because crappy kids become crappy adults. Just yep. raise a decent human being. Right. Because I don't, I don't play about my children, mm-hmm. like, at all. But that just goes to show the different experiences and lifestyles that other people have. Yeah. You know, and their upbringing and what they weren't taught and how they're either willing or not willing to change that. Yeah. Um. That's, that's what that is. And so what's some encouraging advice to mothers, whether new or seasoned mothers out there, just overall? Give yourself grace. That's it. Give yourself grace to be broken, to be vulnerable, to be frustrated if need be. Um, give yourself grace to know that you are doing an amazing job. You have, we are parenting through a pandemic. Okay. It's a lot. And none of us have experienced this ever before. And so if you feel like you are failing, I promise you, we are all feeling it too. You are not alone. Give yourself some grace. And rest. (laughs) So I have to ask this question because I did mention it earlier. Where did pickles and popsicles come from? (laughs) I I have to put that in there because people, I know they're wondering. See what had happened was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was on the phone with a friend. Pickles and popsicles came when I was pregnant with Afeni. And I was on the phone with a friend. And I was telling her, I was like, oh, let me text my husband, tell him, bring me some pickles and popsicles. So I was eating these little snack'em pickles and whole fruit uh, popsicles. Not at the same time, but those were my cravings that I wanted. And she was like, oh, this should be the theme of your baby shower. And at the time, I wasn't going to have a baby shower. And I was like, you know what? What if we make it like a community event for moms? And that night, I kept ruminating over it and I... By the time the morning came, it was a whole notebook full of what pickles and popsicles could be. What And so I haven't even scratched the surface of the pages in that mm-hmm. notebook about what we, you know, we can be. So that's how it was. That's how the name um, came to be. The mission has always been the same. Was mm-hmm. I just want to be able to support um, 
support moms. And so actually right before the pandemic happened, we were just about to roll out our in-home postpartum support. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I'm trying to figure out how I can support moms virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were going to come in, bring lunch, help you put together baby gear, uh, do bottles. Because I realized that that was a service that people were paying for. Mm. And that felt very predatory to me, that if someone was willing to pay you to help them create a birth plan, you know, put together some baby gear, bring them lunch or wash some bottles. That means they had no one and you shouldn't monetize that. Mm. And so we don't charge for anything. They nickel and dime moms to death. Yeah. And so I'm not charging you because you're vulnerable and you need some additional support. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I'm talking to people about pickles and popsicles, the conversation ends abruptly when they're like, well, how are you going to get money? Well, how are you going to be? I was like, money comes when it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it comes however, in whatever form it needs to. Um, So actually we were just recently granted um, a grant from United Healthcare. Wow. And so that's great. We barely, we just made two in, in January. So this is our first, wow. our first grant. Um, and so, like I said, money comes when it's supposed to. Exactly. And so I don't, I didn't go in it for money. I Mm -hmm. don't do it for, for the money. And actually one of the reasons we started the boxes is because I needed to pay for like our legal filings and all of that stuff. I was like, I just wanted us to be Mm self-sufficient, you know, cause I was just constantly taking money from our, our household budget and it, it blew up. It took off those boxes. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand why. And then to the good intention behind it as well, you know, wanting to help mothers um, and wanting to be of service. Um, So my last question, I I like to say my last question, but something may, you know, pop in my head. (laughs) How does it feel being able to connect to women and mothers specifically in this creation that you have formed? It feels amazing because we are tribal people. Mm-hmm. And so I love to find my tribe. I, I I have a tribe for almost every entity of my life. I got my motherhood tribe. You know, I got my girlfriend's tribe. I, you know, I, I, I have a tribe for just about anything. And so it feels so good to just in any area of my life to feel like I am just supported. Like I'm just in a proverbial hug all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want it to be. Like, I don't want it to be this weird thing with, you know, this weird group of people. No, no, no. Let's let's break down these walls right now. We are all in this, this raggedy motherhood boat together. Let's go and say, you know, there is no hierarchy. It doesn't matter if you're married, unmarried. It does not matter. You are a mother. We are in this plight together. How, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's my only thing is like, how can I help? Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. And so that feels amazing that I was able to create something that I, that I needed, mm-hmm. something that I wanted. And so pickles and popsicles is formed out of things that either that I had, and I've always had a good village. I've always had people to support me and, and, and lift me in times when it was hard or things that I wished I had. Mm. And so I get to fulfill all of my dreams 
through this organization. And now, you know, as my baby is getting ready to start puberty, or she's in puberty, but get get ready to start her period, Mm -hmm. she's creating her little tribe. Mm -hmm. And so she has her own line of boxes coming (laughs) out. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so they're called the K Box. Welcome to young womanhood. Oh wow! And this is beautiful. Oh my god! It is taking over my house. Between <laughs> mommy reset boxes and K boxes, I look like an Amazon fulfillment shipment center. Like, hey, speaking it. <laughs> it's, I, I, I know. Look, sorry for all the packaging, but it's always oh, so much. <laughs> it's so much, and so those boxes. So that she has her own little photo shoot with her little ambassadors next week, and. Those should be able to, I should be able to launch them at the end um, of the month. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I, we talk about um, that, that weird area of parenting where you're trying to be the parent you wish you had when you were a kid Mm -hmm. and still a little bit of the parent you had when you were a kid. So we talk of when we, when she started puberty, we started talking about it. And then when we started talking about periods, cause I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure my mom thought she was progressive during the time. And she was like, Oh, it's woman's day. But she did not properly prepare me for the ongoing and <laughs> which I should have known. Cause I grew up with a mom and a sister, but it, for me, it wasn't clicking. I was like, Oh, I did this thing. I made it this week and I'm good. And she was like, right. Yeah, it's going to happen again. I was devastated. I was like, wait, what? It ain't over. I got to keep doing everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lord. I'm like, not oh ready. My God. And Jesus. talking to my friends, they had their horror stories. And so I realized that that was going to be my daughter's experience as well. If I didn't change it. Mm. And so it was important for me to arm her with the correct information mm-hmm. about what was happening to her body. Mm-hmm. And so when she was having those conversations with her friends, she was disseminating correct information. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, oh, it's Shark Week and we're dying every month. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I'm bleeding to death. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, you know, she was like, oh, well, mom, are you going to make me a box? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. That was the thing. I was just going to take one of my boxes, put, you know, and one of my friends was like, no, no, no you should make a box. And I was like, no, 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 I shouldn't. I'm trying to stop doing the boxes that I'm doing right now. (laughs) And it blew up. Um, It was mentioned in a group. um, uh, We were on this call for this Magnolia tax Mm -hmm. and it was mentioned. And then the founder of black girls rock Mississippi was like, Hey, I want to jump on board. What can we do? And then fostering faith. Um, so we're going to yes. be able to get these into the hands of girls in foster cares and group homes. Wow. Um, and it just, so this was just a thought, Yeah. an idea less than a month ago. Mm. I have physical boxes in my hand, mm-hmm. like right now. And so we got honey pot products, sanitary products, uh, in the box. Um, they'll have a brochure that tells them how to track their periods, their signs and symptoms. Um, what is a period, you know, sanitary products that's available. They'll have a journal and a calendar. There's a book. Like it's, it's chock full of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned most about yourself in this entire journey? What have you learned? I know all of the conversation has been up of course about women and and what you do and um you know the impact that you have on others but what's one thing or a couple of things things that you've learned about you oh I am necessary 
there was a lot of, t uh, a good chunk of my life that I felt I was just kind of existing. Um, I thought I knew what my purpose was. I thought that I knew what, where my life was, was going. Mm -hmm. Um, before this, I was in school getting another degree in higher education. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to be Dean Batiste. I'm going to be somebody's dean at Tougaloo College. That was my life school. Like, that was it. I was, mm -hmm. And so when I got into this maternal health space, oh, I felt super inadequate. I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. That imposter syndrome, like, oh, yeah, weird, it's, it's ugly head. Yeah. And I was tested and questioned a lot. I questioned myself, um, my, my, what. I was adding to this space, like, was I needed? Um, and 2020 really wrote the answer on the wall. Mm. And it, when I tell you in the middle of a global pandemic, we went from obscurity to like, I, I had, I had a woman call me, it's a, you know, a woman I knew and she was like, I know you. And I was like, yes, I know you. She's like, but how did I not know you did this? I don't know. <laughs> she was like, I've been trying to find the person. I said, I need to find the person, the pills and popsicles. I need to do this, this, and this. And I was just like, I don't, you know, I don't do it for me. So there's not, it's not a lot of time you're going to see my face on any of our mm -hmm. posts. Right. right. And so even when I was in my board meeting yesterday, they was like, okay, this needs to be a part of our media kit. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> not me. And it was like, you have to, this, this is important and you got to do this, this, and this. And I was just like, I don't want it to be for me. But what it has taught me is that the work that I'm doing is necessary and that I am necessary. Mm -hmm. It completely validated those moments where I question if I was doing the right thing, hmm. you know, if I'm supposed to, like somebody's going to know I'm not supposed to be here. And they go say, Hey, you get out. And I'm like, Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. Like I, I was some stranger. Like I wasn't And my, my, my therapist, she says, I sent her a box. I said, Hey, go get a PO box. I know you don't want some random person sending you anything to your house. Go mm -hmm. get a PO box so I can send you a box. Cause she had so I, I had started therapy with her right in the in the thick of the creation of the, the boxes. And so when she got them and we went to our next session, she was like, um, I got an attitude. I was like, What happened? She was like, I the way you speak about your organization, I thought it was like just a Facebook group. And you were just doing something. You out here running a whole business. Exactly. <laughs> and she was like, and you minimize it so much. I'm so mad at you. Mm. And so she has given, she has really empowered me to own the space that I'm in. Mm. And, I, and I tell her, I said, I never want to come out like braggadocious. And, exactly. And, and she was like, it's only braggadocious if you have to embellish the truth. Mm. She said, you're only stating facts. Yeah. You don't have to add anything to it. Yeah. And she's like, you're owning, I want you to start owning what it is that you're doing right now. You just saying what you did is nothing untrue. Like, it's, it's yeah. okay. Right. And it, but it does make me feel, like, very vulnerable sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, when, I, when people I are understand. calling you a meeting and I'm like, they're like, you did this? You did that? Wait a minute. 
Yeah. How do you not know this? And I was like, I don't know. I yeah. Just, I, yeah. I just do it and I keep yeah. moving. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So just having to just stop and realize, hey. Yeah. I'm doing this and this is great work. It's great work. And it's okay that I talk about it. It's probably better if you talk about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> just giving yourself that notice always. So um, where can women and mothers go to um, learn, again, more information um, beyond the scope of this episode? So you can go to our website, www.pickles, the letter N, popsicles, so dot com, www.pickles, the letter N, popsicles dot com. Um, on Instagram, we are pickles underscore the word and underscore popsicles and Facebook. We're just pickles and popsicles. Well, thank you again so much for giving me the time um, to discuss more about this amazing uh, journey that you're on and this amazing, amazing effort. I really, truly wish you the best. And I know it's only going to go up from here because, like I said, it's it's very important that we have conversations like this and that we have a community as such. And that we are all comfortable in our own skin and able to tell how we feel, you know, express ourselves and love ourselves despite all that we go through. So I appreciate it and happy Women's History Month and also happy International Women's Day and happy just we are women are just so amazing and incredible and I'm so happy to be um in the presence of of women every day who show me so much of right. what I can do and what be done I got a tribe <laughs> of women mentors in the the maternal health space and they are magic yeah we I are incredible they have taken me in they let me ask all of my dumb questions and they were like girl it's okay it's fine like they never let me feel inadequate or mm-hmm. unsure and so I let me tell you I love me a woman okay like a, a nothing like a good girlfriend mm-hmm. and yes. I'm like you have no idea like how important it is that we all win like if I win you win automatically exactly. because I'm like okay girl let me put you on right like how, let me tell you how I got this and how I did this like I am not just a holder of knowledge just for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the purpose of knowledge if not to share it? Mm-hmm. So I be telling everybody all the deeds. I'm like, because you don't have to go through this struggle like I did. You won't have to bump your head like, right. like I did, you know? And so women are amazing. So, yes, happy uh, International Women's Day. To all the mamas out there, be strong enough to bear the children and get back to business. Hey! <laughs> That's that Beyonce right there. Yes. Uh, So thank y'all so much for tuning in to Take a Seat, and I'll see y'all in the next episode. Be blessed, y'all.